Well, what are they saying about me? Give me a report of the rumor mill. Jesus knows full well that folk are talking about him, and he wants to know just what it is that they're saying. Ah, but then comes the real question. Who do you say that I am? Now, how do you answer a question like that? Friend? Rabbi? Prophet? Be careful what you choose, because you might be right, and then what? Peter takes the risk. You're the Messiah. Not bad, Peter, not bad. It's a daring choice. After all, everyone is looking for the Messiah. And if you're his friend, his point man, his deputy, you know, your life is going to be caught up in something that's really quite grand. It'll be part of change and excitement. Imagine you might be the right-hand man to the Messiah. You could also come within the sights of the Romans, and that could be a very risky business indeed especially if something goes wrong. You are the Messiah. It's a daring choice, but it's also a safe choice. You have a pretty good idea what it is to be a Messiah. It's something you understand, maybe even something you can control. Is that why Jesus tells Peter, don't tell anyone? Or is it that Jesus has something else in mind? Well, clearly Jesus does have something else in mind, and he too has made a choice. As he explains to his disciples, he doesn't want them to call him Messiah, and he calls himself Son of Man. It's the title that he chose. And like Messiah, it comes from the scriptures, but it's not so loaded. It doesn't have quite the same expectations, and Jesus can then fill it with his own understanding. He can shape it to fit his own choice of who he is. And who he is offends Peter. I will suffer, I will die. No, no, no. Yes, Peter, that is how it will be. It's not a safe choice, but it's my choice. This is the way to be the one whom Daniel's vision foretold. And then you remember what I read to you. In contrast to those terrible beasts, Daniel says, I saw one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven and he came to the Ancient One and was presented to him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, the one to whom God will give the kingdom. Imagine. God will be the kingmaker. I mean, how can you lose with God behind you? What Jesus knows is that his way to the kingship is through suffering and death. He's been tempted to try the shortcuts, armies and intrigue and wealth, all the way the world grabs powers. You know, so many of our present wars are because Assad, ISIS, the Taliban choose the world's way to power. And the result has been oppression, and terror and corruption. And Jesus has seen that same kind of work, power at work in Herod's court. I mean, Herod was a man who murdered his own wife and son in order to secure his son's power. He was not a nice man. Jesus has seen the results of the world's way, and he's chosen another way. It's a hard choice to explain. And certainly Peter does not understand it, 
When he protests, Jesus simply says, well, if you're going to follow me, it will mean taking up your cross. It will mean putting yourself at odds with how the world works, changing how the world does business is hard and dangerous work. Will you pick up your cross and follow me? The question comes to each one of us, and often at times we least expect. A friend tells of the time he was a lifeguard at the local swim club. He was in high school. There were five of them, high school classmates and good friends. And one evening after work, they just said, well, let's go out together. But for some reason, my friend couldn't go. The car crashed, and the other four were killed. Can you imagine being the one left? He fell into a deep depression. And one night, sitting alone in the locker room that had once been filled with laughter and banter, he struggled with hard questions about the existence of God, about the value of his own life. And he says, I heard a voice as clearly as, some, as if someone were right there in the room with me. And it said, you have to bet. That's all the voice said, you have to bet. I knew there were no easy answers, no proof. I just had to bet on whether God was real. Well, once you make that bet, then there is the call to pick up your cross. And so often we think of that as simply bearing up under whatever hard life thing that life tends to fling at us. Jesus is talking about something quite different. This is a cross that we choose, something for which we volunteer. And it's something that puts us on the same path as Jesus and not the path of the world. Now, we know it put Jesus on a collision course with the world. And it may well do the same for you. You know, it may make people look at you kind of like, oh yeah, one of those. It may cost you money and position. It may be a business decision that runs counter to the prevailing culture. But which does make a stand for Jesus and for justice. It may be speaking out in defense of someone for whom the world has no interest. It may be assuming the care of someone for whom you don't really have to take that responsibility, but who really needs you. It may be choices about how your child spends their time. Church on Sunday, not soccer or the swim team. It may take time you didn't think you had to give. It may usurp some of the other choices that you've made. You may already know what it is that you need to take on. And if not, pray about it. Keep your eyes open. You will know. It will not be an easy choice. Crosses never are. I used to belong to a group called the Movable Feast, preachers who went away every year to do lectionary study together. And one of my feast friends tells of a young man in his church who had just graduated from Yale. He says my roommate, his roommate's starting salary was $150,000 in the business world. But Joel began talking with me early in his senior year about a year in ministry. Emails with our missionary in Costa Rica and total financial support from our mission committee sent him to that nation to live with a family in a tiny home smaller than his college dorm room. He worked with an elderly center, helped with a youth group, visited other churches, and prepared for our two work team so that would come build a church sanctuary. 
As we were about to arrive, he expressed his sadness that he just hadn't accomplished anything. He had nothing to show for his year and all the support of our church. On Sunday, we departed, taking Joel back with us, and members of the Costa Rican church stood one after another, giving moving testimonies about how much Joel had meant to them as he stood in the back, receiving in tears, receiving double of what he thought he'd thrown away, all because he was not ashamed to take up his cross and follow. Now, not all of us follow choices that require suitcases and airplane tickets. Often the way of the cross lies right here at home. Maybe it'd be easier if it were more dramatic. Sometimes the familiar place is the harder. In his book, Ah, But Your Land is Beautiful, Alan Patton has Emmanuel Neen, a black South African, say to Robert Mansfield, a white South African, when I go up there, which is my intention, the big judge will say to me, where are your wounds? And if I, haven't say, have, if I say I haven't any, he will say, was there nothing to fight for? I couldn't face that question. Amen. <laughs>